uh, and, and looking at this brief letter after uh, we looked at 1 John, we're going to see some similarities in 2 John. But um, as I said before, it's only 13 verses. shouldn't take too long to, for us to get through. Um, to start out, just kind of what is this all about? What are we going to be talking about? Well, we're going to be talking about and trying to answer a question of who is a false teacher? And how can we deal with those who are false teachers and still keep the command to, to, to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves? This is something that oftentimes we might struggle with. We might choose, oh, well, this is a false teacher, so let's throw love out the window. But uh, one thing we're going to see in this is a desire to still be loving and, and show love toward everyone and keep the commandments of God. And how do we handle these two commands, you know, to love God and to, to keep all the commands? And, and trying to, to juggle these two things and balance these two things is really what we're going to see in John's second letter. What is Second John about? Well, a lot, of, a lot of the New Testament letters that we find are uh, letters written to individuals and letters written to churches. Well, usually what we see in the letters written to individuals like Timothy, like Titus, like Philemon, which we've been studying, um, those letters seem to be shorter. They're personal letters, and they don't have a whole lot of information in them, but the, the church letters seem to usually be much larger. Now, there are exceptions to this, right? You've got uh, Philippians and Colossians that are kind of smaller letters, uh, and you've got really Luke and Acts, which are longer books that are written to Theophilus. So there are exceptions to this, but usually we see the smaller letters are written with a more personal tone and with a more personal um, uh, message that seems to be coming across. If you look at Second John, there's a lot of debate about who this letter is to. Uh, in the very first sentence, he says, "...the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth." At the very beginning, he, he says, "...this is a letter that's being sent to the elect lady." and her children. Who is the elect lady and who are her children? Well, some people suspect that the elect lady is the church because obviously in the book of Ephesians, the church is called the bride of Christ. So it would make sense to say the elect lady is the church and then all of her children are the members. But do we see something that might be wrong with that perspective? As we look at that a little closer the church is not uh, this entity that is separate from the members inside of it, right? The church just simply means the congregation, the group of people. So if the elect lady is the church, then who are the children, right? The, the elect lady is the church, then the elect lady is the members of Christ's body, the, the, the members uh, who belong to Christ, then who are the children, right? They, they can't be the same thing. Why wouldn't he just say to the elect lady? But he says to the elect lady and her children. So this seems to be a letter written with a more personal tone, written to a specific lady and her children. And, and whenever we look at this book, we're trying to figure out the message of this book. It really helps us to understand he's writing to a specific 
person and her children in order to prepare them for something. And, and we can obviously see this letter was dispersed throughout the churches because of the message that it gave. So it's not just because it's to a specific woman that it didn't have applicability to all the churches, but this is the way this was written, to a woman who is elect, in other words, a woman, woman who is a child of God, who is, apparently is very influential because she's receiving this letter, and her children. Now, children could be your physical children, most likely the case, but in First John, we kind of see my little children as a figurative phrase. So maybe that's those who she has influenced, those who, are, um, who she's helped, but it, it could also just be her physical children. <laughs> so as we study this and we try to understand it all, it really helps us to get the perspective that this is a woman who John is writing to in order to instruct her, in order to help her with something, uh, some situation that she is going to face. Now, okay, so we, got, we understand the elect lady and her children, but notice also he says the elder to the elect lady and her children doesn't say John, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect lady and her children. He says the elder. Well, that phrase is not referring to him being older, okay? But it's referring to the office of an elder. This is, uh, they, they wouldn't typically call themselves the elder to just say, I'm older than you, you have to listen to me. But that's typically a term used to refer to the office of Eldership. So John is one of the shepherds at the congregation where the lady uh, normally attends. So that seems to be who it's from and who it's to in all of this letter. So now we see the relationship. All of this is going to help us make more sense of this letter as we read through it. What is this whole book about? Well, in 1 John, if you remember, we have five statements that said, uh, I am writing this to you because... Like very clearly, John telling why he's writing the letter. We don't get any statement like that in Second John, but it's 13 verses, right? I mean, we should be able to tell why he's writing this letter. In fact, the first four verses, he repeats the same idea five times. So we, we know what this is about as we study through it. Let's read through the first four verses of Second John. He says, The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Notice that word repeated five times in those four verses. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. Uh, he loves them in the truth because they know the truth and they are walking in the truth. The truth abides in them and they have grace, mercy, and peace from God in truth and love. So all of these ideas about the truth are being repeated in this very beginning. And you get a picture of this elder sending a letter to encourage something about the truth. <laughs> He's trying to help them focus on and think about truth. What is the truth and, and how do I apply the truth to my life? Well, one statement that he says throughout all this really sticks out to me. 
And that's in verse 2 where he says, Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Think about that for just a second. The truth will be with us forever. What does that mean and how, how does that make us feel? I mean, this truth that John is talking about, that the elect lady knows and that her children are walking in and that John knows and that he is walking in, is with us forever. Think about uh, all the different things that we've learned in our lives that were wrong, <laughs> that we've had to adjust our understanding of over time because we didn't understand something like we thought we did. Well, what he's telling us here is that there are things that have been revealed to the apostles that will be true forever, that will never change, that are, that are unalterable, that are eternal, that will not become obsolete. These are things we can hold on to as always being true forever. And this is an impression he's trying to give to this woman to hold on to something that is true and to, to make sure that you're considering this to be the most important thing to hold up for yourself. This reminds me of other texts that talk about this truth. You've got uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, where, where Paul talks to Timothy and tells him that the sacred writings are, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's telling him, you hold on to the Old Testament that is helping you grow and understand the truth about God and the truth about Jesus because it is able to make you wise for salvation. There's extreme value in the truth that has been revealed to us. In 2 Peter 1, 3-4, this is the way he talks about the truth. He says that God has revealed something to us that, that is uh, able to help us partake of the divine nature. He has revealed to us everything that pertains to to life and godliness, the divine nature of himself and how we can walk and, and be pleasing to God through that understanding of who God is. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, he says, In times past he has spoken to us through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his son, right? These are, and other texts are really emphasizing the value of what has been revealed to us in the New Testament. This is a truth that never passes away, a truth that is eternal, that is something that we must hold on to as the unchanging truth from God. And this is, this is uh, an important message that he wants the elect lady and her children to hold on to as they're trying to navigate life on this earth, that we have this truth. And this is something that we as well can hold on to. This is an eternal truth. It doesn't change. It stays the same. Now, we might, our understanding of it might change as we realize we've made mistakes in the way we think about it, but it doesn't change. And instead of pulling, our, pulling the truth to what we believe, we have to make changes to be in line with the truth. And this is where he's going in this book. As we continue throughout this letter, we see that John is going to describe and help this lady navigate a very difficult situation in her life. Uh, two of God's commandments seem to be colliding with one another. 
And John wants to help her uh, navigate. What is the right course of action? What is the right thing to do? Don't we wish that John could tune in and, and give us some instruction and direction in, in every life situation and all the difficulties of our life? But this is what John is doing for this woman. He is, he is uh, writing her a letter to help instruct her and help her understand what to do when the commands of God seem to conflict with each other. Notice verses 5 and 6. He says, and now I ask you, dear lady. So first of all, notice he's about to ask her to do something. But he pauses. My Bible has like a dash right there. Because he's going to kind of go into a rabbit trail. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have already had or we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So he goes on this little side note, this little rabbit trail, in order to uh, explain what he's about to ask her to do. He's, he's explaining, I'm not altering the truth here. The truth is forever. It does not change. I'm not altering it, but I'm about to ask you to do something that is in line with the truth that I have told you previously about love and about keeping the commandments. As you look through verses 5 and 6, you see it's kind of complicated the way all of that is worded. Um, I'm not writing a new commandment, but the one you've heard from the beginning. That's actually the same thing he said in 1 John. And then he says that we love one another. So that's the commandment that they've heard from the beginning. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Now, notice the circular nature of this. Okay? It's not just uh, keep the commandments. It's not just love your neighbor. <laughs> it's keep the commandment to love your neighbor. And if you really love your neighbor, you're going to keep the commandments. It's circular, right? That, that they're two, the two ideas are intertwined. They're inseparable. Loving our neighbor and keeping the commandments must both be maintained in every aspect of our lives. Now, how many times do we struggle with this? In some cases, we think, well, it's important, more important for me to keep the commandments than show love to my neighbor right now. <laughs> or sometimes we might think, well, it's more important for me to love my neighbor than it is to keep the commandments right now. And we're trying to navigate and trying to figure these things out. But John is trying to help us understand that they're intertwined. That in every decision we make, it may seem to people like we're keeping the commands more than we're loving people. But we're actually trying to do both because they're both connected. To love people is to keep the commandments. And to keep the commandments is to love people. By doing one, we are doing the other. And the way that we do it, obviously, always must be done in love. That, that, that is a way that we keep those commitments in order to make sure both of them intertwine. But all of this is really just being said to, to set up what he's about to say. Okay, So uh, if, if we really want to get to this next section, we need to know what he says right now is still the truth. He's not changing it. He's not altering it. Uh, we must love one another, but we must also obey the truth. Don't throw out e either one as you keep them both. All right, let's look at the next section, verses 7 through 11. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. 
those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So notice how he gets to this request for the elect lady and her children. Uh, he, he sets it up by telling them, uh, you keep both commandments. The command to love, the command is not greater than love. The, to love is not greater than the command. You do them both. But then he goes into, there are deceivers who are coming. And you must be prepared for those deceivers as you live your life. He's giving her warnings to prepare her for this event. When someone comes to your house who is a deceiver, this is the way you're supposed to live. The first thing he says is that there are some who will be teaching uh, that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. There are some who are antichrists, and John uses this in 1 John as well, that this is someone who denies the humanity of Christ. In the second century, these would be known as Gnostics. These are those who, who see matter as evil. All matter is evil and all spiritual is good. Therefore, Jesus could not have had flesh he just appeared to have flesh, essentially, is where their teaching comes from. So John is writing this to prepare this lady for these false teachers who are coming, spreading this uh, untruth that Jesus was not man, but that Jesus was just divine. Uh, in the last book, he had mentioned some of those who come proclaiming that Jesus was not divine. And that's, that's kind of the other side of the coin. But there are some who are proclaiming Jesus did not come in the flesh in order to promote whatever kind of teaching they have. They're shocking and awing with, you see, all matter is, is evil and Jesus can't be evil. Therefore, he was not flesh. And this is a teaching that she needs to be prepared for. And then she tells us in, he tells us in verses 8 and 9 that those who believe these things are in serious danger of losing everything that they have, have laid up for themselves. He says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide by the teachings of Christ does not have God. Having God is everything to us as Christians. If we, if we don't have God, we don't have anything. And he, he says also that uh, we must watch ourselves to make sure that we do not lose what we've worked for, but that we may win a full reward. Our desire is to win the reward. That's everything to us. So this warning must be taken very seriously. This is not a light thing to accept these untruths that are being brought to us by these antichrists, these who are, are against the mission of Christ who, by proclaiming something about Christ that is totally false from what the apostles have obviously stated is true and, and totally opposed and contradictory to the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of his apostles. We don't want to fall into that. Because if we do, we lose everything that is important to us. 
is a very strong warning in this text. And the third thing he says is really the thing he was really trying to prepare these people for. He tells us, uh, he tells this lady, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him any greeting. Because if you greet him, you're taking part in his wicked ways. Now, in those days, hospitality was was very common, and, and Christians are commanded to be hospitable. This is, this is something that we're supposed to be. Uh, you know, we kind of fail at that sometimes today because we're so isolated from each other and independent, even before this all began. But in those days, a preacher would be traveling, and it would be expected that he would be in people's houses. And here, he's actually telling this elect lady... If someone comes to your house, you ask them, do they believe that Jesus came in the flesh? And if their answer is no, then you don't show them the love by by giving them hospitality, by caring for them. You show them the love by rejecting them and saying, you're not welcome here because of what you're teaching. He says, if we accept them, if we greet them, if we're kind to them, then we are not being loving toward ourselves. We're not being loving toward our children. We're being unloving, uh, even toward them, as we accept their deception and, and, and go along with it as though it is okay. He wanted this lady to be aware of their deceptions and to prepare herself to stop from giving them help. Imagine how against Uh, you know, her desires that would be. If she's a lady who is very hospitable and very open and very loving and wanting to bring people in and just show them so much love and shower love upon them, and now he's writing her a letter to say, look, you have to stop doing this, okay? You're you're taking part in their wickedness. We can't do that. And that's, that's the way he seems to be talking to her, trying to convince her that we must love and keep the commandments and not... uh, Choose one and forget the other, but do them both at the same time. All right, verses 12 and 13 are the final words. He says, though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. It's kind of ironic, but what you see John saying here is what we feel. I would much rather see you face to face, right? I would much rather be with you. There's something that's missing in the joy. The joy is not complete, he says, in writing this letter. And I would much rather come to be with you to explain all these things more fully, to, to field your questions as you ask me questions and try to build you up personally and, and, and to enjoy your company together. And this is something that God has given us that we enjoy and we may have taken for granted and now we're missing out on. And John himself is saying, I wish that we had that already, but when I come, I'm going to tell you more about all of this. And then at the end, the children of your elect sister greet you. So there's some relationship between the elect lady and her sister. Uh, And some people would think that's a different church. And and I'm just like, how's the children? I don't understand. Um, It's not a hierarchy. It's not a denomination. What's going on here? Um, But maybe it's just her sister (laughs) and her nephews and nieces who are greeting her as John is nearby family members. 
uh, it would make sense. Anyways, so that's, that's the letter of 2 John. Very short, very brief, to the point. But whenever we start to apply this, things get a little bit complicated. Um, how do we apply the teachings of 2 John? Who is a false teacher today? And how do we determine that, right? This is a big question that I think uh, weighs on our minds from time to time as we try to determine what's true and what's not true, who's being false and who's not being false, uh, and how should I treat them if I'm not really hospitable or going to welcome them into my house anyway? Uh, how do I apply this text and, and how do I uh, work my way through to keep the commands and to love my neighbor? Well, instead of trying to tell you all the different things I think are false teachings in society today, um, instead of going down that path, we'll touch on a little bit of it, but instead of trying to do that, which I think is probably fruitless because I'm still working on all of that and I haven't got the full understanding of a lot of those things, uh, what I want to do is see some very important principles, two very important principles that I found in 2 John that I think we need to apply to ourselves today. Okay, Number one is that abiding in the teachings of Christ is not always easy. As we see this elect lady trying to figure out exactly what it is that she's supposed to do in every situation in order to be true to the commands and love her neighbor, we see that this is a wrestle for her. This is something she's having to deal with, and John is sending a letter to prepare her for and as we try to do the same things, it would be great if we could write to an apostle and say, hey, which way do we go here? But we can't. So we're going to wrestle with these things. We're going to struggle with these things. Jesus himself, uh, as, as he was on the earth, had that perfect understanding about the commands and loving our neighbor, right? The Sabbath command versus healing on the Sabbath. Well, he understood I'm, I'm to love my neighbor and that that is more important than keeping the Sabbath in this way. And he's, he's making that point to those who are condemning him for, for healing on the Sabbath day. He's like, it, it's also commanded to love your neighbor. And he even points to the Levites and say they're, they're circumcising, right? There's a conflict and we're trying to figure it out. And Jesus figures it out perfectly. He says, in this case, we love our neighbor while we're keeping the Sabbath. And that's not a contradiction. It's not going against keeping the Sabbath. We're not disobeying because we love our neighbor in this case. And in other cases, he would show, as we see here, that you confront the one who is deceiving and you do not accept them with hospitality, right? It seems as though we're not really obeying, but in this case, uh, we are obeying and we're actually showing love by doing what seems to be, by most people, an unloving thing. So it's a hard thing to discern between what is the right course in every situation. And I feel like that's what we're running into today. And it's so interesting that this text applies in this way. Like, we're trying to navigate this and trying to make the best decision to love our neighbor and to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul. So, in this case, we were asked ourselves the question, what qualifies 
as going on ahead and not abiding in the teachings of Christ. In order to determine if someone is false or someone is true, we really want to nail down that question and try to come up with an answer that makes sense. But really, if we start straying away from what John is saying in 2 John, we become in danger of maybe going beyond... (laughs) the teachings of Christ. You see how if I were to add a list and tell you all of these things that I think are obviously false, I could easily slip into adding to uh, the, the teachings of Christ going beyond what Christ has called us to do. So it's important we remain scriptural in all of the things we say, and it's important for everybody to have an understanding that, that Maybe we're understanding things the wrong way. Maybe we're struggling with some of these things because it's just not easy. The, the only easy things are like here, Jesus didn't say, the statement, Jesus did not come in the flesh. Okay, uh, absolutely, Jesus came in the flesh. <laughs> this is an easy teaching. And there's a number of other easy teachings throughout Scripture that, that we can rely on that relate to the nature of Christ, that he was the Son of God, that he was God. And he was man, you know, uh, teachings about who Christ is and what Christ has done uh, is, is, is pretty simple and pretty easy. And if, if people start to twist that and contradict that, then for the most part, we can understand they are false teachers. There's a number of people who teach that Jesus was just a good person or that he was just a prophet of God or, uh, or a number of other things or that, that they hold up other men as being closer to Jesus like, uh, and, and being like Jesus in all of these ways. And, and they add to uh, the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the apostles additional revelations, right? Mormons do this. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists do this. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do this. There's some that are just easy to just knock off the list as saying these are people who are not abiding in the teachings of Christ. They are going on ahead and they are making additional teachings that actually contradict the true teachings that we find revealed to us in Scripture. John also said uh, in 1 John 4, 3, they do not confess that Jesus is from God. Another, right, the divinity of Christ. And then there's a number of other texts that refer to these false teachers who are twisting the truth to their own destruction. Uh, They're teaching a different gospel, right? And, And Paul says in Galatians, let them be accursed, for what they're teaching, right? So there's a number of areas throughout Scripture that we see very interesting direct commands that these people who are teaching in this way are to be accursed or they are to be avoided or they are to be rejected. And we must study diligently to find all of those situations and try to understand who is really a false teacher and who is not. And make sure our understanding of that is in line with what is true. Because if we go beyond and try to make that say something it doesn't, then we're making the same mistakes as everybody else. And we do not want to do that. Um, In 2 Timothy, I found this study really interesting in our Bible class on Sunday morning. Whenever we were going through 2 Timothy, he's reminding Timothy of all these things at the end of his life. And he's trying to encourage him to be very careful about 
handling people who are irreverent, uh, people who are trying to fight with him and quarrel with him, and he tells him not to let his own youthful passions uh, get in the way, but instead pursue righteousness to not quarrel with anybody. And essentially, as you get to chapter 3, he tells them, uh, you let them show who they really are that they are selfish, that they are lovers of money, that they're proud, that they're arrogant, that they're abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. But what's most interesting, verse 6, he says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. you got a picture of these false teachers going into the houses of women in order to deceive them and to carry them away with their false teachings. So these are, these are the kind of people that we're looking for and in our attempt to fight against false teachers are those who do not show the love of Christ in their life. They're selfish, they're, they're arrogant, they're doing all of these other kinds of things. Like, if we want to identify a false teacher, it's not only about the things that they're teaching, but it's also about the way that they live their life. That the works of flesh are being seen and evident in the way that they handle themselves in order to identify whether they are telling the truth or they're trying to deceive in order to justify themselves or things like that. But to go to the point of Second John and say, you must reject them and not show them any love or any hospitality, in some cases, hopefully we can see that may not be uh, entirely necessary. And we have to discern that. This is not an easy thing. If, if we wanted it to be easy... We would just say, okay, I've got all of these beliefs about the teachings of Christ. And if anybody goes against any one of my beliefs, you're not allowed in my home. (laughs) And I can't greet you. And essentially, therefore, I disfellowship with every single person who is a lover of God, a lover of Christ, and trying to follow after the way of Christ because we have a disagreement about this opinion or that opinion. And then, and then there's no unity, and then there's no love, right? We're just all about the commandment, and we're just throwing love out the window and not being patient, not being kind, gentle, uh, loving, and self-controlled in our handling of other people. So John is encouraging both, but he's warning primarily in this text against accepting the deceiver. And we have to come to a determination somewhere along the line that this person is not seeking truth anymore. This person is now out to deceive others to believe the lie that they are trying to promote. And at that point, we have to make the decision that this person is not going to be allowed to influence my children, (laughs) not going to be allowed to influence my spiritual family, but that this person needs to be rejected and and marked and, and put away. In some, in some form. And that's not an easy thing. That's not a light thing that we enter into uh, happily or we're excited about. But it's something that will be necessary to make sure that we receive the reward 
and that we're not led astray from serving God and the truth faithfully because we want to stay in line with the truth. The second principle that we learn is that loving is not always easy either. (laughs) Abiding by the truth is not always easy. It's a complicated matter of trying to discern who is true and who is not and trying to discern what teaching is actually true and what teaching is actually not. In some cases, uh, we, we may change our point of view and are we going to say we were a false teacher beforehand and, and say that we were trying to deceive people? Well, maybe we were. But a lot of times it's just a, a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge at the time, and we want people to be patient with us. So now we see that loving one another is not an easy thing because sometimes we have to reject people that uh, may seem like they're good intention, but they're just really willing, unwilling to conform to what is true. So you've got both sides of this. Trying to keep both commands is not easy, but each command by itself is difficult. To love someone who is rejecting the truth does not mean that I compromise the truth in order to make them feel better. That's not a loving thing for me to do. If I change the truth in order to have a good relationship with somebody, in order to keep from confronting them or contradicting them, I don't love them. I love myself and my relationship with them more than I love them. And I have to come to terms with that. It's a hard thing uh, for us to do a lot of times because there's been so much uh, I'm offended kind of attitude in our society. It's really hard to confront people and also... Um, we struggle sometimes because I've been wrong in the past and I think this is the truth. I'm, I'm fairly certain that this is the truth, but I could be wrong again. So we have to address them with humility, with love, with kindness, but we still have to address them. We can't just let that go and not talk about the things that are hard, thinking that we're loving them when in fact we're not. Another thing we we see here about loving people is um, the main thing that we're doing that that makes this unloving is we're removing the reward if we allow them to continue in the deception without confronting them whenever they have decided to do something that's totally false and they've deceived themselves by walking down that path. If we just uh, let them go beyond what the teachings of Christ are and believe whatever lie they want to believe without confronting them or rejecting them or talking to them, then we're making a mistake and we're not loving them as we should. Uh, this is something that he tells her to do, that you, you reject them and you let, I mean, essentially, you don't even greet them. This is an offensive act that he's encouraging this woman to do. Can you imagine a sweet the sweetest woman you know, okay, hospitable, letting people in, loving people, and her just putting her foot down and saying, no, you cannot come in here because of what you teach. Uh, that, that is what he seems to be calling for people to do in order to uh, allow for everyone to maintain the reward, in order to keep from people being deceived by untruth. So as we, as we evaluate ourselves and try to determine what is true and try to be loving toward other people, one thing that we have to do in order to maintain humility is we have to take all of our beliefs 
All of those progressive beliefs, those beliefs that say all those ways of old are untrue and all these new ways that I've come up with, this is the truth, and we have to be willing to put it on the chopping block. And then all of those old beliefs that we still hold to, that we think have to be true, that they're absolutely true, and they're, they're conservative thoughts and conservative viewpoints that are in line with people that have gone before us, we have to be willing to put those on the chopping block. And we have to let the Word of God do its work on whatever thought, whatever idea we have. If I have a progressive thought, I have to let the Word of God cut it. I have to let the Word of God even destroy it and throw it away if necessary. And if I have a conservative thought and I see that it's not in line with the Word of God, then I have to be willing to throw it away. Because I love other people. And because I love the word of God, I love the truth, I want to walk in the truth. I want to grow in my understanding of the truth for my own good and for the good of others. I want to help them know the truth. And I want to help them grow in what is actually true. And not in what I want to be true. Or not in what I've always believed to be true. But in what is actually true. And in all of this, if anybody's unwilling to do that, to put their progressive thoughts, to put their conservative thoughts on the chopping block, if they're unwilling to be silent where the Bible is silent and speak only where the Bible speaks, and they're unwilling to open their mind to the possibility that I could be wrong, then we see that there's an arrogance that's in them that they must overcome. And we have to be willing to to step up and say, you need to... You need to approach it with us rather than being against us. Or we can't, we can't progress. We can't grow. And that's our goal. That's our desire is to grow together in a love and an understanding of the truth. If I am speaking where the Bible is silent, please tell me. Please tell me. I've been wrong a lot. <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes since I've started trying to teach other people the Bible. If I am silent where the Bible is speaking, talk to me about it. Help me understand. And maybe I've got a reason. Maybe I've learned that the Bible doesn't say what I'm being silent about. And I'm trying to figure it out still. And before I do speak out on this or that, to be sure that what I say is in line with the truth. But we need to be very careful and make sure that we all have this kind of attitude toward the truth, that we love it, that we want to walk in it, that it abides forever. It is everything to us, and we can cling to it. And all of these areas, which there's not a ton, but all of those areas that are up for debate, that we like to debate about and have all kinds of different views on, we have to learn patience with others. But all of these things that are so clearly marked in Scripture that, that we mostly all agree on, we cannot contradict or compromise on those things that teach us about Jesus and who he is and what he calls for us to be. There's just a number of teachings that are just so repeatedly taught throughout Scripture that if we go against those things, we are just completely rebelling against God. And if we were to go to a a number of denominations and we were to just join that denomination and follow after the teachings of that denomination, knowing what we know the scriptures clearly teach, we would be compromising and giving up the truth in order to enjoy 
some satisfaction and, and to try to give love to people. And we can't, we can't do that. We can't give up one and, and hold to the other. We have to have both at the same time. I've been doing a lot of research on the churches of Christ uh, since I became a Christian 15 years ago. I was overly zealous trying to convince everybody that I know what the Bible actually says and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, I got a lot of friction and a lot of information given to me about churches of Christ this and churches of Christ that and trying to figure all that out. Um, and so I started looking into the history of it and found a really good book written by Ed Harrell, Churches of Christ of the 20th Century, and it mixes the life of Homer Haley and the 20th century Churches of Christ and all of the bickering and all of the fighting and arguing on both sides. And he does a good job trying to be fair and honest on both sides. And what I saw throughout all of that was a real struggle with these two ideas. We must keep the commands and we must love our neighbor as ourself. And a lot of times, unfortunately, the desire to keep the command overran the desire to love one another. And it's sad. I mean, it's really sad to see that. Uh, because what ended up happening is uh, portraying someone as a false teacher because they have a different view than me. And this is absolutely not... The, the approach that's being given to us in 2 John. like we, we use 2 John in order to justify marking someone and rejecting someone. That, that to me is so far from what is intended in this book. That there's a very clear idea about Jesus that we must reject. We must instead approach this with love and with a love for God's word, desiring to receive grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and and. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. And that's our desire uh, as we try to figure all this stuff out. Now, there's some things we can mark off as obviously heretical, but there's other things we must be patient and loving toward one another to be sure that we're keeping both commandments.